Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Have you tried to buy a concert ticket recently? What about a stadium show for a popular comedian? What did it cost? How was the Ticketmaster experience? Well, like everything else, the price of live event tickets is on the rise. But the reasons why aren't as simple as inflation and the economy. Outrageous ticket prices are all about monopoly using an algorithm to outflank the secondary market. It's a surreal story, and here to tell it is Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler. He's been writing about this for years now. His latest piece on it is Blink-182 tickets are so expensive because Ticketmaster is a disastrous monopoly, and now everyone pays ticket broker prices. Jason, thank you once again for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this weird, complex story. Long, long headline. Long headline I came up with there. Why? <laughs> there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Why ticket broker and not scalper? I was curious about that. Uh, I mean, like, let's get that out of the way to begin with. I think that the colloquial term is ticket scalper. It's like a thing that people have said for a really long time. And uh, like, that is what we're talking about here. It's people who buy tickets and then resell them for more than, uh, than they cost. And it's like ticket broker sounds more legitimate and the reason why I used ticket broker where possible is because ticket scalper is a pretty like problematic term. Like it is, it brings to mind like indigenous people and like scalping, like Mm -hmm. the practice of scalping people's scalps. Um, Right. And it's just like, not something that I wanted to like, we made a decision a few years ago to like say to, to explain that we're talking about the same thing here, um, but to use like ticket broker because it's just like a little bit more. It doesn't have that sort of loaded context to it. But one thing that uh, the British come up with lots of terms for lots of things, but in like England, it's called ticket touts, which I think is actually like a pretty good one, like tout, uh, T O U T. Um, so maybe that can catch on in the U.S. sometime. I don't know. I like the alliteration ticket tout. Um, all right. So this is, as far as I knew, this all started for you, I thought because of blink 182 tickets, uh, it goes much deeper than that, but this most recent story is, is started with blink 182. So what happened when they announced a reunion tour? Yeah. So Tom DeLonge, the original singer of blink 182, along with Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker, they're sort of blink 182's original lineup. Uh, they are who people think of when they think of Blink-182, like the popular band that became huge in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, sort of broke up for various reasons, some of which might have to do with Tom DeLonge's alien interests, um, some of some of which have to do with the other band he started, uh, Angels and Airwaves. But basically, like, basically the original lineup of Blink-182 announced that they were going to play their first shows since I think like 2014 or 2015. And so they announced this, uh, you know, stadium tour all over the U.S. And tickets went on sale and people went to buy them. And the tickets were either hard to get, as in like they sold out really quickly, which is not a surprise. Or, and I guess, and 
the ticket prices were like way more expensive than people were expecting. It's like in 2009, which is a long time ago, uh, like a floor seat or floor general admission, like stand in the pit for Blink-182 was like 75 bucks. Uh, now in some cities it was $600, which even by any stretch of like inflation is just like, you know, it's a, like 10 it's more than 10 or it's like 8x as expensive as it was um like 12 years ago and so people were really mad uh you know lots of people were saying like hey what's my wage again (laughs) uh, what's my age again uh and basically like i knew why this happened uh there's a there's a lot of reasons why this happened and we'll we'll talk about it but basically like i've been really interested in tickets for a long time, concert tickets, sports tickets, so on and so forth. Uh, I have a dark and sordid past as a ticket scalper when I was in college. A very, very, very bad one, like not not a successful one. Um, but during that time period, like I talked to how I how I got into it, but basically I got into it because I had like Lincoln Park tickets in high school sometime. And my family decided to go on vacation that week. So I couldn't go. So then I like list them on eBay. And I think I made like three times what I had paid for the tickets, um, not expecting anything. I didn't buy them to resell it. I made a bunch of money and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like maybe I'll try this again. And sort of like over the next year or two, I bought and sold tickets to a bunch of concerts um, like on Ticketmaster and, and kind of went off the deep end, sort of learning about how this world works and how the secondary market works and so I did that and then I stopped doing it because I lost a lot of money because I was the world's worst ticket scalper. I like went into credit card debt. It kind of like fucked up my life to be honest. Like I, I was very bad at it, but that's not because it's not really because I didn't know what I was doing. It's more because I was like highly disorganized and sort of like overextended myself. Um, and just like, I guess what I'm saying is like, I learned a lot about the industry, but I just wasn't good at it. Um, And then after that, it's like, you know, over the last 10 years here and there, I've been writing articles about Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which are now the same company, um, and writing articles about StubHub and ticket bots and ticket brokers and so on and so forth. So this, the story is like kind of the same, but it comes up every couple months. It's like this same story, like when Harry Styles tickets went on sale, like, People were really upset that they couldn't get tickets or that they were really expensive. It's going to happen this week and next week when Taylor Swift tickets go on sale. It happened during Blink-182. And it's like, I just thought it was time to sort of do an expansive piece about like the the last sort of 10 to 12 years in this space because a lot has happened and people are always confused. People are always mad at Ticketmaster as they should be. Uh, but people are always sort of wondering, like, why why can't I get tickets and why are they so expensive and who should I blame? Let's take a look at what you're talking about real quick, because I've actually got um, on this on the stream and I'll describe it for people listening to the podcast. We're looking at the May 6, 2023 show for Blink-182 in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Um, still a lot of tickets available is what it looks like through the Ticketmaster website. If you want to buy a pit ticket, you click on that and it is $778 for a pit ticket, uh, which is wild. As you said, it used to be like 75 bucks, right? Go to section 207, which is up in the balcony. You want to, you want to get one of those. 
and it's going to be $473 for kind of seats in the middle. Something that like, this is usually when I went to like a concert, this is where I would sit. Probably I'd get a little bit of a cheaper seat. I would go into the, I would, I would, you know, pay like maybe 50 to a hundred bucks to sit back there. Um, $725, almost as much as pit tickets, uh, to sit in the front of that balcony area. Uh, this is, this is wild to me. So it is wild. And it's interesting that you did that. Like we didn't really talk about this before the the podcast went, but like what you're looking at right now are like resale tickets. Like you're not even buying, you're buying tickets from Ticketmaster, but these are people who bought tickets on the on sale and they're reselling them and they're selling them on Ticketmaster. And like, this is part of the story because there's very little transparency right now about who you're buying a ticket from what price you're paying, why you're paying that price, who's selling you the ticket. Like it's a disaster and it's a disaster for a variety of reasons. And it's like, it didn't used to be like this. And it used to be the case that when this started happening, like when Ticketmaster itself got into the secondary market, people got really mad. And so like, just, just to go back in time, um, back in 2009, which is when I was doing this, like when I was selling tickets. So I I remember this really well. It's like Bruce Springsteen went on tour. He announced the tour. Bruce Springsteen tours all the time. There's usually a pretty robust secondary market for Bruce Springsteen tickets, which is just to say like Springsteen is huge. He puts on a great show. When the tickets go on sale, they usually sell out really quickly. There's usually like ticket brokers who are buying up the tickets and then they're reselling them on Largely on StubHub. There's like other websites, but they're largely using StubHub. So 2009 happens. Bruce Springsteen tickets go on sale. They sell out immediately. And normally, like, I, I don't know if you have had this experience, but like usually the tickets go on sale at 10 a.m., like local time. And you try to buy them. And if you don't buy, if you're, if you weren't able to buy them, Ticketmaster would be like, sorry, tickets are sold out. Couldn't find anything available. Like, Better luck next time, basically. And from that point on, your only option is to go buy tickets on StubHub or to like buy tickets from someone in a parking lot, like before the show. Like, like the tickets are sold out and you're screwed. Uh, and you have to go buy it from the secondary market. But for this Bruce Springsteen tour in 2009, Ticketmaster had just bought this website called Tickets Now. And it was a StubHub competitor. It was a secondary market that anyone could sell tickets on. And for this Springsteen tour, Ticketmaster, rather than saying, hey, these shows are sold out, these tickets are sold out, they started automatically redirecting people to tickets now, which I believe had some sort of Ticketmaster branding on it. And people were buying tickets, like thinking that they were buying them from Ticketmaster, but they were buying them at like hugely inflated rates from ticket scalpers, basically. And... I bought and sold tickets for this tour. Like I, we can talk about the morality of all this later. It's like, it's not my proudest moment, but it's like, I bought and sold tickets for this tour and I made like a few hundred dollars. Um, and the way that I did it was like, I bought the tickets the second they went on sale. I didn't have any bots. I just like went on, logged on, bought the tickets and I listed them immediately. And I remember this Bruce Springsteen tour. It's like, I was in college. I woke up, I bought the tickets. I listed them on tickets now for like $200 more than I paid. I took a shower, I came back and I had like five alerts from in my email being like, your ticket's sold. 
And in like basically five minutes, I made, you know, a few hundred dollars. And when this happened, people were furious. They were very, very, very mad because they thought that they were buying tickets from Ticketmaster, but they were actually buying tickets from ticket brokers at hugely inflated prices. And this became such a thing that like Bruce Springsteen was like, this is an outrage. I'm furious. Like Congress got involved. They were like, you can't do this. Like, this is very bad. And now here we are like 12 years later and Ticketmaster is doing the exact same thing and no one gives a shit. It's like people care and people are still mad. But like the thing that it was like national news at the time. And like now it's just part of every concert. It's like Ticketmaster sells the tickets and then it also allows people to resell the tickets on Ticketmaster for whatever price they want. And so those those tickets you were just looking at for Blink-182, it's like that's someone selling the ticket back to to people, but because the tickets are sold out, like you can't buy all the tickets are spoken for and they're being resold. But when during the general on sale, it's like it used to be Ticketmaster would tell you how much the prices were. They would say, Hey, tickets range from $50 to $115, depending on where you sit. That's the price. And you buy them. And that's not how it works anymore. They're using this thing called dynamic pricing. And as you mentioned, it's like it's an algorithm. And it's an algorithm designed to like destroy the secondary market. And the way that it's destroyed the secondary market is it's just jacked up the prices for everyone. Yeah, this something like this happened to me. Uh like 2019. It was like the last live thing I did before the pandemic. Uh, nobody ever comes to the city I live in. Um, somebody happened to be coming to the city I live in that I wanted to see. I bought tickets for myself and a friend and trying to figure out, uh, if I was buying tickets from a legitimate source, if I was actually going to get the tickets was like a very fraught thing. Cause I don't, I don't buy concert tickets very often. Right. And I think that this mm. is part of why it keeps coming back up in the news cycle because people, there's like some live music heads that will kind of go see anything. Right. But for most people, they are waiting for their Bruce Springsteen or their Taylor Swift to come around. They'll buy and then they encounter this for the first time, right? They maybe haven't bought, bought tickets in like 10 years, 15 years, and then suddenly it becomes like a nightmare experience just to try to get concert tickets at a reasonable price. And you never know what the baseline cost is. So you're just kind of screwed, right? And you're well, just the stuck. Pro- the process changes all the time also. Like it used to be like the way that it worked would you'd click to best available, enter a captcha search for tickets. And like, that's not the way anymore. It's like, there's a seat map, like uh, there's a variety of different things. There's like VIP packages. There's like meet and greet things. There's um, it, it's like a maze of options. Um, and it didn't used to be that way. And for like a show that's not popular, that's kind of nice because you can go and pick any ticket that you want. But for a show that is popular, it's like I mentioned earlier, the tickets go on sale at 10 a.m. There's like for a big concert, they're sold out at 10.01. It's like if you blink, you're going to miss it. And that's kind of just like how it goes. Um, as in, I don't think that there's really a way around that. It's like the tickets go on sale at, at 10 a.m. You know, a band like Blink-182 or Bruce Springsteen, it's really popular. The way that you get tickets is you sit on time.gov, which is uh, 
the U.S. government's clock, basically. You wait till 9.59.59, and then you click refresh on Ticketmaster, and then you type as fast as you can, and you, like, hope for the best. Um, and maybe you open up, like, other browser windows. And in the past, it's like, it was a crapshoot. Like, some people got tickets, some people did not. Um you know, since I was doing it pretty often, it's like I, I got pretty good at filling out the forms and so on and so forth, but I wasn't using any bots. I wasn't using anything. I wasn't doing anything special, basically. Um, but basically, you bought the tickets and then uh, we can get to this, but basically, like, big... The fundamental issue here is that tickets cost have traditionally not cost enough money, um, which maybe sounds weird because people have been complaining about Ticketmaster and concert ticket prices and fees for a long time. But basically like the existence of the secondary market is one of those kind of like fundamental capitalist supply and demand things. And I'm not saying it's good, but it's just like the case that there are often more people who want to see a band than there are tickets that exist then there is like physical space in a building. And so it's like a fundamental thing where it's like when there are more tickets, when there, when there are more people who want to see a thing than tickets exist, there's a lot of demand for this thing. There's, there's a lesser supply. And so like the price is going to go up. And so the secondary market has traditionally existed because it's like you could buy a ticket for $50 and then you could resell it for a hundred. And so there was this gap, this like, you know, $50 gap that ticket brokers were jumping in and taking advantage of. And I guess this is time to talk about algorithmic ticket prices. It's like Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which we can talk about in a second, um, have basically tried to calculate what the maximum um, price anyone is willing to pay for a ticket uh, for any given show in any given spot. And this is their dynamic pricing. And so like instead of the Blink-182 tickets costing $100, face price they now cost 200 or 300 or 400 based on whatever signals that algorithm is seeing and that's how the tickets are priced so everyone so no one is getting lucky like in the past you used to be able to get lucky and you could buy a ticket for cheap like cheap uh and then you'd be happy like if you wanted to go see the the band you would pay 50 bucks and like maybe the true value of that ticket was a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars and the people who missed out on that would have to go pay that on StubHub. But now everyone is paying that inflated price. And that's basically like what the story is here. It's like ticket, everyone said, we hate scalpers, we hate bots, we don't want this. And Ticketmaster's solution to this is like, okay, we're just going to jack up the prices until supply meets demand, like more or less. Like we're going to use an algorithm and we're going to find out the optimal price that we can extract the most money from everyone, basically. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. If you're watching one of the live streams, uh, we will be back immediately. And there are no ads. If you're listening to the podcast later, have a nice word from our sponsor. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, cyber listeners, we are back on with Jason Kebler. We are talking about why concert tickets are so damn expensive. Jason, I have a couple questions from chat, um, if that is all right with you. Um, not Mickey says, is there a regulation or something that prevents Ticketmaster from jacking up the prices on an ad hoc basis by themselves? Like if Ticketmaster controls the secondary market, why don't they just go into the scalping business themselves and cut out the middleman? I would argue that that's basically what they've done, right? Yeah. So I think it's a good, I think this is a good place to talk about why Ticketmaster has so much power. Um, also in 2009, also around the time of this Bruce Springsteen thing I was talking about with tickets now and when everyone was really mad, which by the way, once everyone got really mad, Ticketmaster stopped doing that. Like they stopped redirecting people to tickets now. And, uh, that's like obviously not the case anymore, but basically, um, Ticketmaster has been around forever. I think since like the early eighties or something, you used to have to go and buy tickets from like the mall. I remember going with my mom to like buy tickets from like a record shop or something where you go sit in line outside the venue you stand in line not outside the venue i mean you could do it at the venue but you you also did it at like sam goody like the 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 cd store um and they had Ticketmaster machines there and like you they still went on sale at 10 a.m and you like the people who worked at the um store would like it, it was basically like a box office at like spread out throughout the general area of any place. And it's like ticket scalping existed then. And the way that ticket scalping worked was like, you knew someone who worked at one of these record stores and they would cheat and they would start buying tickets for you before letting the customers do it. And then you'd like give them a kickback. Like that's kind of how it worked. Anyways, Ticketmaster was a company that sold tickets. Like that's what Ticketmaster was few years later, I actually don't know the, the whole history of Live Nation, but Live Nation is a company that owns and operates music venues, largely. It's like, think of a big music venue. It is likely owned and or operated by Live Nation. Um, and it's also an artist, um, like they represent artists as well. So like Blink-182 is represented by Live Nation. And for... Many, many years, Ticketmaster and Live Nation were separate companies. And then in 2009, Live Nation began selling its own tickets for its own venues. So the, like, for example, Jiffy Lube Live, which is some, it's like a pavilion in Northern Virginia. It's near where I grew up, sort of. It was a pain in the ass to get to, is owned or at least operated by Live Nation. And if you wanted to go get tickets there for like years, you would buy from Ticketmaster. But eventually Live Nation was like, we're going to sell the tickets for Jiffy Lube Live on our own website. And this was obviously like a threat to Ticketmaster's ticketing monopoly because Live Nation was cutting out Ticketmaster. And so there was like this actual competition for like who was going to sell the tickets to an individual concert and sometime, and in 2009, Live Nation was just like, we're going to merge with Ticketmaster. We're going to become the same company. And so 
this like there was a little bit of a competition and separation, but suddenly basically like the company that sells the tickets, the company that owns the venues, the company that promotes the concert and plans the concert and represents the artists are all the same company. And we call this a vertically integrated monopoly, more or less. It's like they completely own the live music space. And it's like, this is not how it is for small, like small indie venues. Um, it's like, those are indie. Uh, but for the big, sort of like the, the very big um, concert venues and even like mid-sized ones, like a lot of, you know, standing room nightclubs are owned by Ticketmaster and, and Live Nation. It's like, th- this is how it works. And so when they merged, there was like a bunch of people who were like, this is going to be a disaster, including Bruce Springsteen. Like it was kind of hot on the heels of this big controversy. There were congressional hearings. They were like, you can't do this. Like this would be really bad um, because it's going to make the ticket prices go up for everyone. Um, here you go. Yeah. 2009, there was an antitrust hearing. And I don't know why this happened. Um, but the Obama administration rubber stamped this. It's like everyone screamed from the rooftops. Everyone hated Ticketmaster. So it would have been a really easy thing to be like, no, you can't do this. Like, I think it would have been a win um, for consumers and sort of publicly, but they rubber stamped it and they became one company. And since then it's like Ticketmaster and Live Nation control all of the data. Like they know how to route a concert, how many days any band should play, like how much the ticket should cost, so on and so forth. And that's why they're able to price these things so well, I guess. And they're also able to, I mean, I don't have specific reporting here, but it's like, I get the sense that they're able to pressure artists to be like, we're going to set your ticket prices, like more or less. Um, and I say that because like, this Blink-182 controversy, Mark Hoppus of, of Blink-182 was like, sorry, like we have nothing to do with this. I don't know. Um, and it's like, well, Live Nation chose the prices for their concert. Yeah, I've, got his, I've got his response here, which I will read. Uh, I understand that the ticketing can be frustrating. I bought the tic- I bought tickets for two of our shows myself just to see what the experience was like. I had tickets yoinked from my cart and the whole thing crashed out. Dynamic pricing period. I'm not in charge of it. It's meant to discourage scalpers. We're trying to bring you the best possible show for the best price. This is a tour celebrating new music and the band getting back together. Thank you for your enthusiasm, and I hope to see all of you at the shows. It's just kind of a nothing comment, right? More or less. And I I know um, the the commenter on on Twitch, the audience asked sort of like, why doesn't Ticketmaster just start selling tickets on the secondary market? And it's like, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories over the years that Ticketmaster is working with scalpers to sort of like sell the tickets on StubHub or sell them sell them as resale, even though they were like never avail actually available to the general public. And it's like this this data is pretty hard to come by. It's like I don't think the concert industry leaks that often and it's also all the same company and so it's like they they hold this stuff pretty tight to the chest but there's been like a lot of conspiracy theories over the years like i did a story a few years back where it's like during the general on sale of a big tour it's possible that only like 10 to 20 percent of all tickets are actually for sale 
because so many of them are already spoken for by like season ticket holders of like the sports team that the concert is at, like the venue that the concert is at, like uh, pre-sales that go to specific credit card holders or to that go to bands, fan clubs, like things like that. And I also did a story a few years ago about this company called wise guys that back in like the early 2010s did have a bot that was buying like an absurd number of tickets. Uh, the second that they were going on sale, like they were able to buy like thousands of tickets to a specific show sometimes. And so it's like the deck is pretty stacked against like the average person wanting to get tickets. Um, and it sounds like it's hard. Like most yeah. artists don't have any power either because artists make a lot of money from live music. Uh, is in the merch that they sell there. From what I understand, that's like a huge source of revenue for bands and artists. And you now have to play ball with this juggernaut, or they can cut you out of the system, right? Yeah, there's been an example of a couple. Like I think Pearl Jam. Uh, went to war with Ticketmaster in like the late 80s, early 90s and was basically like locked out of playing at some major venues. And it's like, that's like these, you want to play in like, you know, uh, a basketball arena or a football stadium. It's like, you have to deal with Live Nation. Like you basically have to. There's very few major venues that are not owned or operated by Live Nation, it's like I can name them off the top of my head. It's like there's uh, the basketball arena in Houston is like some third party. It's It goes on sale on some like really janky website. And actually tickets are really easy to get there because like people don't really know how to work the website. Um, I think in Denver, the Pepsi arena was, was um, a similar like non-Live Nation thing for a while, although I think it changed at some point. It's like, there's only a couple. It's not like, oh, there's dozens and dozens of them. It's like, there's like five, like five major, like Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland is a, an, uh, an outdoor pavilion that's owned and operated by the people who own 930 Club in DC. And it's like, that's like one of the only independent like large music venues in the United States. It's like, it's crazy. Um, and so anyways, it's like, there's a couple things. One, in this case, I would imagine that Blink-182 is making more money because their ticket prices are more expensive. Like, I think that that is probably the case. I think that the previous system where scalpers bought a lot of tickets and these people who did nothing to make that music, like I didn't, make any of the music or have anything to do with any of the concerts that I bought and sold tickets for. It's like, I shouldn't have been able to make any money there like that, that I didn't do anything to deserve it. And so nominally it's like a pretty good thing for the artists. And that's important because one, it's not just the artists, but there's like roadies and merch sellers and people who work at the venues and so on and so forth. I have no idea if that money is trickling down to these people at all. But I think we can like safely assume that the artists themselves are probably making more money under this system, which is good. And it's especially good because like the Spotify streaming situation is like a disaster for artists. There's been a lot of reporting on this. Like they make very, very little money from streaming. No one buys CDs anymore. No one like buys like very few people like buy 
MP3s on iTunes. Like, I don't even know if you still can. I assume that you can, but I haven't done it in like a decade. Um, and we've also just been through COVID, obviously still going, but it's like for two and a half years, like these people couldn't play any concerts. And so it makes sense that the ticket prices are, are more um, and it's nominally a good thing. It's just like for the actual fan, they are paying more. A lot of people like straight up can't afford this. It's like, you know, can you afford a thousand dollars for you and your friend to go see a concert for one day? It's like some, some people can, but that, that cuts out like a huge amount of the fan base. And it's, it's a bummer on that level. Uh, one part here that you touch on the very end that I thought was kind of fascinating is, and maybe this is only possible for a certain kind of artist that is at a certain kind of popularity level. Um, how, how did Garth Brooks get around all this? Yeah, it's really, it's really smart. And I think it's really actually the only solution um, that I've seen over the years. It's like Garth Brooks hates ticket scalpers. <laughs> He's made this very clear. And the way that he prevents people from selling tickets to a show, or at least the way that he prevents them from making money off of it, is he just keeps adding shows. It's like for his last tour, I think he played like five or six shows in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which he's from Oklahoma. He's big there, but it's like he just keeps adding shows. It's like the first show sells out. Okay, another show. Okay, another show. Okay, another show. Uh, until they don't sell out anymore. And it, and at that point, it's like everyone can basically get tickets for face value. Um, Blink-182 has done this uh, in a few cities. They've added shows, um, although Garth Brooks does it to like an absurd level. He'll play like 7, 12, 13 shows in a row, uh, depending on the demand, whereas like Blink-182 is adding like maybe two shows, maybe one or two shows in a given city. But it's like when you add a show, you're doubling the amount of supply uh which obviously like brings down it sort of it, it decreases the pressure um there's just more tickets to go around and so it's easier and so there's all sorts of reasons why this doesn't always work uh i mean you kind of have to you're kind of asking a lot of the artists to just like keep playing shows in one city until they're bored uh and and like are able to move on it's like at nightclubs, they have complicated schedules. There's it's like scheduling can be really hard. Um, travel is difficult, like so on and so forth. Some bands just like don't have the clout to do that. It's like, I don't think that an individual nightclub maybe wants to have the same band play five shows in a row, but like that's, that's basically how the secondary market can be destroyed by just like continue to add shows until Everyone who wants to see the show has been able to see the show. Do you think, actually, I want to, I want to read a comment that, that came up at the very beginning of chat uh, that I think will help see us out nicely. Um, Laren Zod says, I feel like the short answer to this topic is we live in an algorithm driven capitalist hellscape. Uh, let me ask you, do you th- see this kind of business model? Maybe business model is the wrong phrasing, but do you see this affecting other markets. Uh, as I was reading it, I kept thinking of PlayStation fives and GPUs, um, and 
how it was really hard to sell those during the pandemic and the, the supply just wasn't enough. And there was a huge secondary market where people were selling them for incredibly inflated prices. Do you think that this model is going to be replicated other places? I mean, this model came from Uber. It's like sur- surge pricing is an algorithmic price of like, you know, supply demand based on how many people want to go somewhere and how many people, like how many drivers there are. Um, they don't call it surge pricing for tickets, but dynamic pricing, that's what it is. It comes from that, that spot. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. I feel like there are some, but uh, none are like coming to mind for like physical products. I could see something like that working for um, like hardware, uh, graphics cards and PlayStation 5s and so on and so forth. I think sneakers may have had, some people may have experimented, like Adidas may have experimented with like, because there's a big secondary market and there's also a big bot problem with sneakers. Um, funny, we're talking about this now, like a couple weeks after Kanye West like went off the deep end again, but it's like Yeezys, whenever those got released, there was like a pretty robust market of, of this sort of same dynamic where people were trying to buy t- uh, these sneakers and then they were able to resell them. And Adidas came up with its own app and sort of like lottery system. I forget what it's called, but um, sort of tried to do it this way. I'm not sure if they ever experimented with the pricing of it, but it's like, this is a way of killing that sort of secondary market it's like if target started selling hand sanitizer at the beginning of the pandemic for 45 dollars a vial or whatever a bottle then you wouldn't have had people buying it and and reselling it um which we saw a lot of that profiteering at the beginning of the pandemic with things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer and masks and so on and so forth but it's like i think i think that the backlash is such it's like Ticketmaster is used to getting shit on. No one likes Ticketmaster. It's like right up there with Comcast as like one of America's most hated companies um, because so few people have had good experiences with it. It's like even even when Ticketmaster doesn't screw up, it's like maybe you weren't able to get a ticket and you're mad and you blame Ticketmaster or you're mad at the fees that you're charged or um, like Mark Hoppus, you had tickets and the website errored out. Like that's a pretty common thing where the servers get overloaded. Um, so anyways, I think Ticketmaster can get away with it because people hate them already. Uh, whereas oh, like, I think the only... Target was selling toilet paper for to the highest bidder in some sort of dynamic algorithm situation, it would be a different scenario. Well, they're the only game in town, right? It's because they're a monopoly. It's because there's no competition and it's really hard to f- to think of a way that you would inject competition into the, um, into the ticket market, right? It's not like you can go pay to go see blink 182 at the venue across the street at the same time. Right. Right. You can go see the cover band. (laughs) It's like, it's not the same experience. And so, I mean, we, we write about and talk about capitalism all the time and a commenter said this, but it's like straight up. I think that, event ticketing is sort of one of the only places where there are these like it like it's a rigged system but it's also sort of 
pure capitalism in a lot of ways where it really is just like supply and demand. Um, and there's like, there's all these, like there's thumbs on the scale, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to go see blink 182, you can go do it. You might have to pay an insane amount of money, but like it exists. The tickets exist. You're going to be able to go get them, but it's like, are you willing to be sort of the, are you willing to pay more than other people? Basically. Jason, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. I played the music before I asked. Do you think there's anything else we should we should hit? I, I felt think, like that was a I good. I think note. the only other thing is like we're about to do this whole rigmarole all over again in the next week with Taylor Swift. Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot worse. A lot worse because Taylor Swift is the biggest artist on the planet. One of the biggest artists on the planet hasn't toured in a long time. Some of the pre-sales are up. Like. Blink-182 is tiny compared to Taylor Swift. Like, it is about to be a shit show. So, stay I, tuned. I think she could do... I think she could do the Garth Brooks thing if she wanted to. Uh, I think she could add... She could continue to add concerts and sell out until it was all over, personally. She's uh, already added shows in a lot of places. Like, she's playing most places multiple days. And she's also playing football stadiums, which is, like... Many of them play, hold, like, eighty to 90,000 people. And so it's, like... <laughs> That's wild. (laughs) She's playing like two or three shows at like Gillette Stadium in, you know, New England. And it's like you and 300,000 of your closest friends will get to see Taylor Swift over a three or four day period in 2023. Taylor Swift descends on your city. Yeah, they're going to sell out. Yep. All right. Well, if you want to read about this, go to uh, motherboard.vice.com. If you like the show and you're just listening to the podcast, please. This was a live stream and it was a lot of fun. You can get in and chat with us. As we are talking about the topics, go to youtube.com forward slash motherboard or twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV and follow us there and be notified when we go live. Uh, We will be back again next week with more stories from the internet. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Bye-bye. Farewell. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.